Welcome to the Cellular Cinema Podcast. This week we'll be talking with John Aker, a Minneapolis-based animator, experimental filmmaker, and documentarian. We'll be talking about his films Charlotte's Photographs, Score 3PO Rising, and his community animation projects, including Art of World and Open Streets over the last 20 years. If you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe at Patreon backslash Cellular Cinema. All proceeds go to our guest artists. Thank you very much. So welcome, John Aker, uh, to the conversation and to the podcast uh, and to the to this small group. Um, we at Cellular Cinema, we've been screening your work since the very beginning. Um, for five years now, um, but I realized that we've we've never given you your own screening in all that time. We've always like we've peppered you into uh, short programs, but we've never done like the the full John Aker experience. And so this is you know this is um, this is not that exactly, but it is it is spotlight on you for the first time in five years. So like I really. I, appreciate your willingness to do it. And also, um, you called yourself an introvert a minute ago. And so I also appreciate just, you know, your willingness to be the center of attention for, for this time too. Yeah, well, it's, it's quite an honor. So, I mean, thank you. Thank you so much for, for asking. Yeah. Cool. And, um, you, so, so I feel like, just through screening your work over the course of several years, um, I feel really, I feel like I'm familiar with it. But one thing that um, that this pandemic and quarantine has kind of highlighted for me is the, the deep, deep depths of your archives, uh, because you've been posting, uh, I think, possibly a film per day. Is that is that true? Yeah, well, I, I saw a couple of friends I know who made videos were like in March were started putting them up just as a, a distraction. So I decided to do that. But I mean, I, I made I made literally hundreds of movies. So I mean, I could keep on doing that for quite a while. I mean, some of them I don't want to put up there, but I um, but yeah, I mean, I can keep I'm, I may I'm going to probably get bored and after a while and, and stop doing it or just try to, um, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I'm usually not that active on Facebook, but I just I just started doing it, and then I just continue doing it. And you know, so yeah. I think it's really great. Um, both like it's cool that you have that many movies, uh, but and then also just the kind of the the pace of sharing like um, one piece at a time. Um, I've enjoyed it personally. Um, and can you so so for for people who aren't familiar with your work um, or haven't been clicking on your links on Facebook. Um, could you kind of, I'm not exactly sure how far back to go because I know that you made movies as, as a child, right? So, so could you go as far back as you're, as you feel willing to go either to like coming to Minneapolis or, or um, the beginning of your filmography? What do you, what can you share with us about? how you how you got into this yeah well I'm, I mean I'm for me it's I think it's really significant that I, I I got into movies when I was like nine years old and started making them when I was 10 because I'm always I think I'm always trying to get back to that that initial excitement that I had about why I wanted to make movies um, just trying to get back into that nine ten year old mind for me anyway you know I, I'm just interested in the whole the whole thing about the child mind and trying to um, just kind of figure out what it is in that that early mind that allows you to uh, um, to 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 not be so self-critical, but just to kind of um, uh, to to look at to try to see the world with a certain sense of wonder um, that I think um, we generally lose when we're 13 or 14 and become kind of jaded and and uh, um, a little too uh, a little too cool for that. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I think it's significant that I, I, and I always talk about that, that I started when I was 10 with an 18 millimeter camera doing some animation and then, and also just kind of having, making some fun movies with my brothers and sisters, my brother and sisters um, out in the, the front yard. 
um, um, that are really kind of, I mean, I was, I was discovering cinema um, when I was doing that. My early films are like, I mean, it's like Georges Méliès, you know, the French filmmaker who was making these comedies and just kind of what happens when you film and then you stop filming and then someone else moves into where the other person was and you start filming again and you transform one person to another. That's, that was, those were some of the first things I was doing when I was 10 years old. And when I got the film back from the lab, another thing I did is I, I had a bunch of, the, of you know, unexposed or, uh, you know, my, my first animation project was, a, was an utter failure where I, um, I put down paper cutouts on the floor in my basement bedroom and filmed them. And, um, and I didn't use any extra light. It was an eight millimeter camera, so it needs a lot of light. So the film all came back black. Um, and then there were other parts of the film that were clear. And so I, I looked at that, that little strip of film, and I started scratching on it and drawing on it. And like when I was 10, I was doing all the things that I kind of do today, you know. Um, so that's, that's how I got started. I, you know, yeah. Was, was there ever a break? Or have you been making movies continuously since you were 10 years old? Or did you like go away from it and come back to it ever at any point? I, I been making some kind of movies continuously since then. In my teens, I, you know, I made animated films and I made kind of these, I had this great group of friends in, in junior high and high school. It was, we were just a bunch of math and science nerds and we made movies together that were kind of comedies inspired by Monty Python a little bit, you know, and um, um, so I did, you know, these kind of humorous or somewhat humorous live action films, animation. When I was in my 20s, I ended up um, going to uh, film school and I really fall, fell in love with documentary and I kind of stopped doing animation. I, I did some scratching and drawing on film animation in my 20s, but, but um, um, when I was in my early 20s, I took this workshop with uh, Skip Blumberg, who um, is this video uh, uh, filmmaker, video documentarian who uh, did camcorder documentary, basically. This was... Um, uh, this was in the uh, 1980s, 1985, 86. Um, so video cameras were still fairly new. And what he was doing in, in New York was just going out and like um, finding interesting people and just hanging out with them with the camera, interviewing them and then editing together videos. And so um, I didn't have a, I did not have a video camera for a while. So I, I, I um, did some filming when I first moved here, but then when I got a video camera, I tried to do that kind of stuff. And I, um, I didn't do animation for a long time. I just kind of did community video and ended up working in public access television for over 20 years um, doing uh, community video and then starting to teach uh, video production there. And, uh, and, and I still kind of continued to make my own experimental films. I, like I said, I, I, I scratched and drew on film. I, um, um, I, uh, um, I used to have a friends who had a band and I would take my projectors to when they performed and like project on them. Um, this was like in the uh, early 90s, and then I made, you know, community documentaries and uh, some experimental films. I was playing around with video feedback, um, and uh, and then um, um, around 2000, um, I uh, you know I I uh, I have a heart condition, and I had a like a like I came close to dying, one of those kind of things, and I, I said I got to get back this what I'm really passionate about. And, and I real and I started drawing again and realizing, that, oh yeah, I, I really love animation. So I kind of, then I got back into animation after not doing it for almost 20 years and uh, in the, like the mid 2000s. And, and I'm still doing animation and documentary and trying to figure out ways to mix them together. And, um, you know, ever since. Cool. So yeah, that's the whole story, I guess. Yeah. Excellent. Um... You know, one thing that that kind of immediately comes to mind for me is um, in in the classes that I teach, I talk a lot about um, kind of output and just continuing to kind of be in the filmmaking process, starting things and finishing things. Um, and I find, you know, that's that it's it's not easy necessarily, but it's a rhythm that you can get into for a semester or a year. Um, and it feels kind of intimidating to see your uh, output, like over the course of years to be just kind of continually in the process of making lots and lots of, of films. Um, and I'm curious if you have anything to say about that aspect of the process about like, 
how it works for you to remain prolific? Like if you have like a thought process around that or a practice? Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I um, you know, I just keep on doing it. I don't really, yeah. I mean, for me, it's just, it's just like breathing. You know, I think I've, since I was little, I've been making movies and I've just always um, needed to do that um, in some way or another. I, and there's the times when I was like just doing it for work. I, I, I felt a little, I realized that I felt a little empty, you know, about this. So I really wanted to continue doing kind of my own passion projects, you know, which are, are basically, you know, kind of mostly what, what you see. Um, but it's, yeah, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, for me, it's, I mean, it's not something that I really have to think about or, or I, I just, I just do it. I have, I, you know, I have like several projects that, that I'm, that I'm kind of in some pro some point of the process in right now. And it's always just, um, kind of trying to, uh, to spend a little bit of time every day on at least one of those. And, um, you know, yeah, I, sorry, I'm very. I'm not very articulate on this, but it's just, for me, it is, it's just something I do and, um, and something I've done for a long time. I mean, as soon as I knew how to, learned how to read, I, I made little books that I would then give away to my friends, you know, and so I've always been kind of making things and, um, and uh, for me, I think it's just, it's just part of, um, part of human nature is to want to create and, um, and I think, um, you know, kind of getting back to that that uh, child mind, you know, we kind of cut ourselves off from it and say that, oh, what I'm doing is not, you know, I'm not that, uh, I'm not a great musician. I can't play the violin as well as uh, Yasha Heifetz or something like that. So, so I'm just going to stop. And I think a lot of people do that. And I haven't, I don't, you know, maybe I shouldn't be making movies because my movies aren't that great. I don't know, but I just keep on doing it. Um, and I, you know, because it's important uh, for me. You know, I think uh, that's kind of part of what human beings have done is that they've, um, you know, they've, they've worked and, you know, so they could make food and so they could eat and they could survive. Um, but then when they weren't like doing that work of catching animals and growing crops and things like that, they were always trying to make the world around them a more beautiful place. You know, they were trying to, um, you know, uh, they were weaving, they were um, uh, uh, writing, they were telling stories, you know, I think that's, that's in human nature. And I think um, for me, I mean, I, I wanted to do this because of the consumer culture, because of television and movies and, you know, these things that give us stories. But, but I think it's natural when we, when we get those stories that maybe we want to make our own or we want to make them ours, you know, I think, and I think, um, I'm, I'm always trying to, uh, to stop the things that tell me that I, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's, for me, I think, I think that's the biggest thing is, is, being able to tell yourself that you have the permission to tell a story or to make something, even if it's not as great as someone else, you know, you know, maybe it's, it, you want it to be as great as the work of your hero, but it isn't, you know, it's what you do. It's, it's something different than that. So um, I think it's just, a, for me, it's been a matter of that, just kind of telling myself it's okay to do it, you know, every day. That feels really, um, special and kind of unique to me specifically in the realm of animation which like I think of animation and I, uh, this is my own like prejudice not this is not factual or anything necessarily but um but I think of animation as like an art form for perfectionism like uh uh maybe because there's so much opportunity for control it's like okay like like every single element of this frame is under my control and every every frame in the sequence is you know a choice that i'm making um and so uh i feel like it it is conducive to like um one of the reasons that i've not really tried animation is that like i, I um that's too much control for me i don't want to have that much control but i feel like your work specifically undermines that or um works against that in a in a thoughtful and an intentional way i don't know do you want to say anything about perfectionism or or about control yeah well i mean um one one choice i made when i was in my 20s when i was like when i was like i had a bollocks i had super eight cameras i was shooting film i was like but i was not i wasn't finishing anything because you know like i i just didn't have like good editing equipment or or you know, I, I didn't have the money to send things to a lab to be nicely printed. I just decided I was going to call what I did 
the things I did sloppy films. So I have that card that comes at the beginning of most of my movies that just says sloppy films. And for me, that that's something that just kind of releases me a little bit um, to, uh, to, to say, well, okay, it's a sloppy film. So if I make it, it's a sloppy film. And that's, and that's fine. It's, it's just my brand, but it's also kind of, it's something that just says that it doesn't have to be perfect. And uh, that, I mean, one thing, um, you know, there's animation um, is a new art form. You know, animation has only been around since about 1906 or so. So it's fairly new. And, um, and, and I think there's few, a few, few examples of one form of art that's been so dominated by one person. And when we think about animation, we, uh, um, we kind of, we, what we think is what we call good animation, what we call um, uh, um, kind of the, the, what animation aspires to be is basically it all comes down to the Walt, Walt Disney and the Walt Disney Studios. And I don't think there's any other art form necessarily that is so dominated on the work and style of kind of one person or what really it's one commercial enterprise that says that has come down to, to, to set the, the standards for this is good animation. This is what animation should look and feel and be like. And really, Walt Disney animation is industrial animation. It's animation made, you know, by a machine of people where lots of people are doing little bits of roles and 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 there's um, certain ways of doing it, you know, like a, a you know, there's these principles of how you create movement that is interesting um, to people. And so when we see animation and we feel these Walt Disney kinds of things, they, they kind of make us feel good in the brain. You know, they make us feel comfortable. This is like how Walt, this is how Mickey Mouse moves. This is how Donald Duck um, uh, gets around. And um, this is what happens before uh, Goofy, you know, uh, does this. We get those little clues from every single animated film we see, and at least in every commercial animated film, and that makes us feel good, and that makes us think that this is good animation. This is what animation should be like. But I'm really interested in what people were doing before Disney, um, because it was very different. You know, I mean, I I I like to credit um, um, two of my favorite pre-Disney animators is Crino Cristiani, who is this uh, Argentinian animator, and Lotta Reiniger, who is German, and uh, um, uh, they both did, you know, stop motion, frame by frame animation, not drawn frame by frame necessarily like Disney, but with basically with cutouts, paper cutouts. You know, Carino did uh, a bunch of different cutouts that he replaced one on top of the other to create animation. And Lottie Reiniger made uh, jointed shadow puppets that she moved frame by frame. So their animation doesn't have the kind of squash and stretch, this kind of fluidity that, that Disney's has. But to me, it's it it just is just as powerfully tells stories and and creates emotions and and things like that. So like I'm trying to always get back to my ten year old self. I'm always trying to think of what would anim animation be like if the Disney studio didn't flop down and say this is what animation is, um, when there were still a million possibilities of what animation could be like. So um, and uh, you know yeah I mean that in some ways that's perfection. Disney had these resources to make this perfection. But because he had those resources and all this money, he really kind of quashed a lot of um, a lot of other kinds of animation from happening for many years. So that's cool. I, I really appreciate that perspective, um, that historical perspective. Um, and I'm curious when you so when you teach animation, like like I I think it's cool. And actually, we could talk about. Um, Open streets and art world in this context too. Um, it seems to me that that you have your own practice um, and your films that are kind of just yours, but that you're also constantly inviting other people into, you know, creating opportunities for people to be involved in animation. And so, could you say anything? I don't know if open streets is one thing and the art world is a different thing, or I don't know, could you talk about your kind of outreach efforts over the years? Yeah, well, well, partly this is, I was talking about, I've, once I started getting back into animation, I was trying to think, how do I combine animation and documentary? I really love documentary, you know, going into, into the, a situation where other people are and, and figuring out ways to, uh, to kind of create this uh, story about that situation. And then animation, which is a very slow and, you know, animation tends to be something that people do indoors and at their computer or at their desk, you know. And so, so when I start, first started playing, out, playing around with stop motion software, um, um, 
uh, well, I was had been playing around with kind of the new stop, you know, kind of modern stop motion software. When I made those stop motion films when I was a teenager, I did them on film. You take a picture, you take another picture, um, you over a month or two, you fill up a roll of film, you take it to the drugstore, you come back, and then you can project it and show it and see what it looks like. Stop motion software, you can take some pictures and you can play it back right away so you can see what what you're doing. And for me, that was just such a revolutionary thing that if I can do this for myself, I can do this for an audience too. I can get some frames and I can show it back right away. And so when I heard um, that one of the early, in 2012, uh, was maybe one of the first or second years of OpenStreet, that, that, uh, that the Lowry OpenStreets, which isn't too far from where I live, that they were looking for um, more artists to do stuff. I said, if I can get a place to plug in, I can do stop motion animation right on the street. And so that's what I did. I, I basically, I, um, I uh, brought a webcam, you know, on a tripod with a computer and a projector and a screen. You know, I have a collection of screens I've mostly gotten from from my from different alleys, and uh, um, uh, eventually a sandbag to hold down the screen so it didn't blow over. And then just you know, kind of the first day it was just I didn't know. Maybe um, um, let's try some pixelation. You know, where um, some person a person stands, I take a picture, they slide over a little bit, I take another picture. You know, we we basically do magical movements with people, and then that evolved into doing it indoor spaces and with art world the first the big ones were like where i had a big space on the floor the example i think i gave the 20 years of art world was like that i had a, a corner of the northrop king building um with a big space on the floor and i had a basic structure of story i was going to do with these kind of 20 points of the first 20 years of art world and then people would come by and most mostly they had no idea what i was doing i wasn't you know, no one knew. I mean, I, I'm not like someone who has like a big fan base who comes to see me. It was just kind of random. A lot of just people walking through the halls and see this big image projecting on the wall and all these weird paper cutouts on the floor and wonder what's going on. So I explain it to them and then say, would you like to be involved in this section? Would you like to make some paper cutouts? And would you like to help me move them around and, and, and uh, see what happens? And um, so, um, you know, I kind of, when I do those, whether it's on open streets or the art world ones, it's usually I have a prompt, a just basic idea, and then and then try to get people to take on that and then kind of have them add to the film and have it have it build. Um, it just kind of evolved like that, and um, and yeah, that's what I'm doing um, this year. I'm doing it. I'm kind of in the middle of it right now. Um, I uh, it's a project that really has changed from the original concept. You know, what I want my um, you know, in the past, what I was doing is these paper cutouts. I kind of think about them as kind of like Lada Reiniger, you know, shadow puppets, and then moving them around on a, on a background. And what I wanted to do is add collage animation, which is something I've done as a kid. You know, like, you know, collage animation like Terry Gilliam contributed to the Monty Python shows, where you're cutting out things from magazines and um, and and animating those frame by frame. I wanted to take pictures and then add, include those in the animation. Um, so, and I was going to do it at the California building. I had a space set up for me. And then, of course, with COVID-19, those, all those big public things are canceled. So I wanted to keep on doing it, but doing it in a way that would work with social distancing. So that's what I've been doing now is trying to just get people to send me pictures and then I'm just animating them in the basement. So it's really not the same. But I'm trying to get some kind of, you know, other contribution to it. Um, and I'm asking people to send me a little bit of audio so I understand the context of those pictures so I can try to figure out a place to put them in this kind of structure I have and um, make, a, make a kind of collaborative film. Um, even though I'm actually just kind of doing it on my own, you know, um, ultimately. But then I'm live streaming me doing it so, so people could watch and hope, what I was hoping is that people would comment and say, oh, move that that way or do this. And that hasn't happened yet, but, um, you know. Um. Could you share, is it, would it be easy for you to share a link to, to this project if people want to, to participate? Yeah, the whole, the whole project, if you go to um, uh, John Aker, A-K-R-E, J-O-H-N-A-K-R-E.com and then forward slash my Northeast. Um, I guess I can type, can I, well, it does it fit for audio. Um, yeah, so johnaker.com forward slash my Northeast. And that's, the overall big project and what I've been putting up there is um, the um, is uh, oh perfect uh, um, I've been putting up um, the animation that I did I 
did it on Saturday and on Sunday, both the animation and then my Facebook live stream, if you want to watch the whole three hours of me sitting there doing that. Because um, what I'm doing is uh, uh, I'm sitting there, but I can't just sit there and do it. I have to talk, right? So I'm kind of like just free associating for three hours um, <laughs> saying what I'm doing. So that's all up there on that website. So Do you find, so when you're, whatever style of animation you're using, I, and I know that you, you combine lots of different styles, um, it seems to me that it is probably like a time-consuming process, uh, any way you slice it. Um, do you get in kind of like a zone, like a meditative state while you're doing it? Um, or how would you describe your, you know, how, what's on your mind or how are you, how, what's your subjective experience like um, mid animation. Yeah, well, a lot of the animation I do, it's it's basically it is making a movie one picture one picture at a time. So it's a pretty slow process. I generally do what's called animating on two. So instead of doing twenty four pictures every second, I do twelve. Um, when I'm doing it on my own, I just uh, you know I well I do projects a couple different ways. Um, I do some that are where I'm actually moving every single or every second frame and taking a picture. But then I also do it uh, where I'm I'm uh, photographing things and then going into After Effects or or anim different software and then and manipulating them as well, um, which is a really different process. But yeah, when I'm doing it frame by frame, my brain is going into all kinds of things. And um, um, yeah, it's uh, I you know um, when I was a teenager, I, I was reading a lot of Ray Bradbury, and he um, he uh, he had this. He said that in his writing room, he had this big sign on the wall that says "Don't think." Um, and I thought about that. And for a while, I put a sign up like that. But that is also, I mean, it's like it's when you're doing um, maybe writing, you can't think about anything except what you're writing. But when you're doing things like like drawing or animation, I think your mind does, my mind at least wanders all over the place. So kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm what I'm doing for the art world thing now, that where I'm on for three hours and animating and talking, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of feeling to some degree like I have to perform. So I'm not just thinking about exactly what's on my mind. Um, and I find sometimes when I have to talk and move it, I get distracted, so I might start saying something and then and then um, I have to focus and just where I'm gonna move this, what I'm gonna do for this next section. And so um, that's a little bit different, but yeah. I mean, there is something just really, it's very meditative, I think, when you're doing frame by frame animation where your mind can just kind of wander and follow things. And and I, um, I, I think that's, it often I, I get ideas for another project I want to do when I'm when I'm doing when I'm in that mind state of doing that kind of thing. So yeah, cool. I, I sometimes I turn on music, but I rarely turn on music. I mostly just let my mind go. Music sometimes is a little too distracting for me when I'm, when I'm doing frame by frame animation. Cool. Um, I wanted to say too. Um, in, I feel like maybe everybody knows this, but. Um, if you, so Julian, Marcy, Liliana, Jolie, um, if you have a question you, uh, at any point, you can either shout it out or type it into the, the chat and we'll, we will address it. Um, one thing, so I have, let's see, as far as where to go next, um, I'm curious, I, I was struck by what you said about combining documentary and animation. Um, and I thought that the, the one of the films you shared, Charlotte's Photos, was really beautiful. Um, and uh, like on a lot of different levels, visually, but also like the, the um, I don't know, it got me. Uh, I found it really moving. Um, and so I guess I'm curious about how you combine, so for that particular project, you had this kind of archive to work with. Um, but I'm curious about kind of strategies for approaching documentary through animation. And, um, you know, I'm remembering your, your feature from a few years ago. Um, Demolition Dreaming, right? Um, 
one so one thing about documentary is like like um i don't know like finding a way in or finding finding the materials that will kind of allow you to start in a in a concrete way on a project um can you is there anything you could say about charlotte's photos specifically um and like the desire to turn that into a film and how you how you decided to approach it yeah, well, that's that's um, I, that's a case of a project that that uh, that basically took um, you know, thirty, almost thirty years to make. You know, because uh, I, um, so yeah, maybe the the story because not everyone has seen it is that um, uh, my great grandmother's sister Charlotte, um, uh, when when I when I first met her, um, uh, uh, she was in her late eighties, and uh, she was um. She had been in this uh, apartment in a high rise in the Phillips neighborhood of Minneapolis, which was just a few blocks from where I lived at that time. And um, and she was being moved from that apartment into a nursing home across the street uh, at Ebenezer Care Center. And um, and um, so so I was there with other family and we were kind of going through her stuff and kind of helping to her clean out her apartment and, and, and people were taking stuff. So I took a few things. I took some of her dish towels and some other stuff. And, and I saw someone who had this photo album and what this person was doing, and it might've even been Charlotte or my other great aunt Ardella who told her to do it, is that she was taking out all the pictures of the family with family members and then throwing the rest of the pages into the garbage. <laughs> so all the pages of just Charlotte's life. So my, my great grand aunt Charlotte Walker, um, she, uh, she never married. She, uh, um, and uh, in 1944, um, her mother died, so she had been. She was in her uh, in her thirties and had been taking care of her mother and father their last, um, you know, 10, 20 years. She graduated from high school and then basically took care of her parents in Kenyon, Minnesota, little town. And um, so, in 1944, her mother died, and she moved to Minneapolis to work at Ebenezer Care Center um, in the Phillips neighborhood of Minneapolis. And then, and then after a few years, she worked. Uh, at Deaconess Hospital, which was just a few blocks away from there, and, and was demolished in the 1990s. Um, and uh, so, this photo album, all the pictures that were thrown out were pictures of Charlotte's life in Minneapolis uh, from about 1944 into the 50s. And then there were a few other of her photos that I found um, as well, like in a drawer or something, that were from later years. And so, so what I did is I just grabbed all those pictures and pages out of the garbage in the in the photo album cover, and I and I took it. And I was just looking and just like, oh, this is an amazing story that I don't even know, that I don't know what the story is, but it's, um, you know, it's this, this. Uh, so Charlotte um, uh, lived in the worker dorms at Ebenezer and Deaconess while, uh, while she was working at those places. And, um, and there was this kind of whole world that she documented in these photographs. So I had this photo album. I wanted to interview her about it, but you know, your great grand aunt. It's really, it's really a hard thing to ask. Can I come and ask you some questions? It was really difficult for me to do that because I'm shy. She was very shy too. And finally, I got up the. Um, I said, I, I just like to interview you about these these photos. And so, so I did. And it didn't. It. it um, she had just gotten her hair done in, in curlers. So I brought my camera and I, I. But I. She didn't want to be photographed. And so, and I forgot to plug in the microphone. So all I got was the audio from the camcorder and I thought oh, you completely blew it. I, I kept on meaning to go back and try to interview her but in 1997 she passed away and so so it kind of just all sat there you know the, the the tape the videotape of the interview and the photo album until really this year I decided I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go through it and and see what's on that tape and so um and so then then it all came pretty quickly so part of it was just going through the photos scanning them and then seeing what I could do with them. So I was just kind of playing around. How do I animate these photos? And I, and I just realized after a point, I didn't want to do a lot of animation with them. I didn't want to do a lot with them. I, I just kind of tried to put them together. And with, um, you know, there were some where um, there were a lot of selfies, a lot of images she made of herself. So I put together some little sequences of that and, um, and then, and then um, cut up the, started playing with the, the, the interview I did with her and cut that up. And realized that it needed something else, and so right around that time, um, uh, I, I went to college in Mont at Montana State University in Bozeman, and I still have some really great friends from there. And one of my friends, Marla, said, "We need to do something together again." 
and I said, well, I have this project. <laughs> and so, um, and, and Marla does lots of things. She does art, but she also does, so I, I made a documentary about her a couple years ago. She plays the theremin, you know, that early electronic instrument that you play by hovering your hands over it. She oh. plays it in character as a performance art thing. Um, uh, and I made a documentary about her. So, so I want, you know, she said, let's do another project. And said, could you make a song that could be about my my great grand aunt and her photographs? And so we worked over a couple, you know, I kind of, I gave her a lot of the captions that Charlotte had written and she kind of made a song kind of using those. And uh, and so, and then I had my friend Jill do, um, I wrote up some narration to kind of explain it, you know, maybe it's, you know, and my friend Jill recorded that. This was all done, um, you know, COVID-19 all by, you know, just people recording it and sending it to me and putting it together. I did this, kind of finished it in March and April, you know, so it went, once I started working on it, it kind of went pretty fast, but it was really kind of this project that had been sitting there for years and years. So, so I don't know if that's helpful, but really I didn't, I didn't know, I had no idea how it was going to be, you know, when I started working on it, I just kind of like started playing with the material and looking at the photographs and kind of trying to, see what kind of story I could tell with these and what it needed, you know? Um, and that's kind of, it's just a matter of kind of keeping on working with it, <clears throat> you know, familiarizing myself with it. And that's really, that's really it, I guess. Cool. Yeah, I, I was struck while watching it, just how um, the power of, of putting them together, you know, the, um, the narrative, but then also just the collage to to take all these, you know, very small individual images and then and then make some make a portrait, basically make make kind of a overarching portrait out of those materials. Yeah, and I and I meant to. I'm just I'm I'm a camera nerd too. You know, I have her camera. So, <laughs> um, and and just I was curious, how do you? Um, so of course those who are listening don't know that I have a. a <clears throat> it's a Brownie Target uh, 620 camera from the 1940s, and it's a roll film camera. So we, you know, we take pictures with our phones. Um, I just wanted to know what it's even like to use a camera like this. You know, it has um, it has a viewfinder on the top. You hold it, really, you hold it at hip level, and you look down to get your picture. And it's actually reversed. It's kind of weird. And then there's a viewfinder on this side for getting uh, horizontal pictures, you know. And there's, you know, there's the, that's the shutter. And then there's just uh, two controls. One, um, one up here, you pull for iris. There's two iris openings. And then this one here, you, uh, you pull out to do a bulb exposure. In other words, to keep, keep the shutter open. So that holds the shutter open. Oh, you can kind of see it there. It's open <clears throat> for doing a time exposure because it doesn't have a flash. So to get a photograph indoors, you have to basically do a time exposure, hold it down. She didn't use a tripod, so you'd look for a, a table to put it on, and someone would have to just hold the shutter down. And then, of course, you'd have to wind the knob, wind it uh, to get the next picture, and there's a little window in the back where you can see the film and the little number. In your, and it's basically the 620 film, I bought some of it, and there's eight pictures uh, per roll. Um, um, and just, and shot, I haven't gotten the process yet, but I shot a roll just to kind of see what it's like. Um, to wind it up and it's a very different way of doing of, uh, taking pictures you know it's uh, it's something that's kind of it, I mean this is how pe people took pictures up until the 1960s and, you know when the Kodak came up with its uh, uh, 120 camera but it's if I can I guess I can't write. and so anyway, is that yeah. is that exposing directly onto the paper it's or? exposing onto the film but the prints are all contact prints. So the prints are all this size. They're the size of the film on the back. So they didn't use an enlarger, you know, and you just took in your, I don't know if you probably could have gotten blown ups of the images, but I think most people got contact prints. So the prints are <clears throat> a little over two inches by three inches. You know, the film is in the back. Here's it's a tiny camera obscura, films in the back. And that's the, that's the print was made by just pressing the, negative against the piece of photo paper exposing it to light and then processing it so it was a contact print that you get from the drugstore <clears throat> with your eight pictures per roll so um 
So all of these photos were small. They were, I mean, that's the other thing. They're the size of the images on my screen right now, actually, about, right about that same zoom size. Um, and so when you look at them, you have to like really get close to see the detail and to see what's really in there. They're, 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 so, they're so easy to ignore. But then once you really look at them closely, if you scan them, you know, I was scanning them fairly high and then zooming in, there's a whole world in there, you know, so yeah. That's really cool. And um, it's interesting that, so like the images are small, but the negative is actually pretty big. Like there's conceivably like a lot of information in that. If she would have saved her negatives, you know, we could have blown them up and had really, really nice quality. Um, you know, I mean, as you know, these are, it's really a, a piece of a pretty simple piece of glass lens. So it's not a great lens, but you know, the, um, the, uh, the negatives, yeah, they're, they're big. They're 120 size negatives. You know, they're big. They would have been big negatives. But the standard thing is you get the film back from the drugstore, save your prints and throw away the negatives. So mm -hmm. there weren't any negatives, at least that I found that she had. So, huh. um, yeah. Did you, so is that just technical question? Is that, if that's just 120 film, was it fairly easy to get it developed? If it's the kind of the, relatively standard medium format yeah it's actually well so it's kodak's version of the 120 film called 620 and it's just rolled on a smaller spool i guess so but there's but there's places that still process that and so i, I and you can still buy it rolled actually for 620 so i bought a couple rolls and shot one but i need to get it processed yet but yeah but this was you know you'd go to the store in the little box you'd buy your roll of film wind it in the camera um and then, um, and then basically take it back to the um, drug. So people had dark rooms and they processed and printed those as well. Yeah. Cool. Um, we do. So we have a question here from Julian, um, just about software. Uh, and yeah, do you have a favorite? You mentioned After Effects earlier, but um, especially I'm curious for stop motion. Do you have something that you really love? Yeah, well, I use I use Dragonframe uh, soft soft. Uh, basically, it's the stop motion software that's that's used by like Leica Studios, the big animation studios that do stop motion. <clears throat> it's kind of pricey, you know, it's like three hundred bucks, but it's but that's still, but it's not like Adobe where you keep having to keep pay every month to use it. Um, so that I mean, it has features far beyond what I what I use but um, but that's great um, uh, one thing that that about uh, dragon frame that's perfect for doing community animation is that it comes with a, a, a little controller unit that you plug into your USB and so like when I go into schools or when I take it out on the street um, I can I, I can feel free that people just let I, I can let people go up and just press the circle button to take a picture without me worrying about them pressing the wrong button on my computer. You know, it's, it's there. They can take the picture and they can play it back without actually having to touch the computer. So um, that's the nice thing about it. But I've also I also do stop motion with. I did a project um, uh, with my phone with uh, what's called Stop Motion Studio. Um, uh, so there's there's and that's really a pretty powerful program as well for doing stop motion. And it's you know there's a free version and then the full version is 4.99. So so that's Stop Motion Studio, which you can get on the iPhone or Android or um, there's a Mac and a PC version of it as well. So yeah. Cool. Um, one thing, uh, I'm not sure if it's a question or I'm not sure how to phrase it as a question, but something that that I was aware of watching Charlotte's photos is um, I feel like a lot of your work, like one of the really strong themes that that keeps coming up and that I always respond to in your work is death. I feel like there's a lot of death in your work and um, specifically kind of uh, elegy uh, and kind of remembrance. Um, and I'm curious if you have thought about that um, either as, you know, a particular interest or just something that kind of lends itself to animation or um, I don't know your thoughts on the subject of death. Yeah, well, there's probably a couple places, a couple ways I can go with that. And one thing is just, I mean, you've been seeing the work I've been doing the last, um, you know, the last five six years, and uh, um, 
and, and in that time, well, in 2010, my father passed away. In 2014, my mother passed away. So for me, I mean, I've been, I've always kind of processed my emotions and things often by making something creative, you know, by drawing or, or by making a movie. And so I've been doing a lot of processing of that uh, by making movies about, about death. But, um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and, you know, and animation has this, you know, I mean, animation, it's just the word animate. It's like bringing to life, you know, it's like, a, a, um, you can take, things that aren't alive you can take you can uh you can resurrect things you know with animation you know i can i i my my i really miss my my uh great grand aunt charlotte you know and so um i hadn't seen her you know for a long time and then i got into those photos again and it's kind of like she's all coming back to me you know my my times that i spend talking with her um and so um being able to kind of make her move you know i just uh just a little bit, you know, trying to cut up those photographs and try to get something so making her like so she could like click her camera and you know I did I did real simple animation in Charlotte's photographs because I just wanted the photographs to, to sing on their own because there's so much animation kind of without um, without movement in those photographs. But yeah, there is it is it's like animation itself is a, it's, there's the whole Frankenstein thing. You know, I I, I mean as far as Doctor Frankenstein, you know, about animation, you can take things that are, that aren't alive. You know, you can take something you make out of clay and you can give it the sense that it's alive. You know, you can take a paper cutout and by changing it, by moving different parts of it around and taking pictures, you can bring it alive, you know, and um, you can add a voice to it, which makes it even feel more alive or sound effects, you know, and so animation is about bringing things to life that maybe weren't alive. So, um, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's definitely, for me, it's at the heart of what animation is. That's really cool. I hadn't thought about that with the the terminology itself. Um, uh, I'm curious too. We don't probably have a ton of of time left, but um, you mentioned. I, I found it really valuable when you mentioned those um, early influences. Those influences from early animated you know, the, the, the world of animation um, in the early 20th century. Um, and uh, I'm curious about, you know, we talked about community in the sense of like Art of World, for example, but I'm, I'm curious about how you, um, I was gonna say how you situate yourself, but maybe that's a little bit too formal, just like, I don't know if you want to draw any lines for us between what is exciting to you and like like other people working today, both either locally or um, internationally. What 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 you feel passionate about that and and community wise too, like who you who you know who you're in who you're in dialogue with. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe it's not exactly related to this, but one of the films I, I submitted, which you wanted to make sure was there, was uh, uh, um, was uh, um, was one of the hats of the New American Cinema um, series. So these aren't new people; these are old people, or 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 no longer alive people, but who are who are really influential to me, who are doing experimental film after World War II. Um, so I'm kind of um, I'm doing the series where I'm kind of thinking about um, some of these filmmakers who inspired me and, and very, you know, so Stan Brackage, Maya Darren, um, Jonas Makas, uh, I mean, all of those people who are these new American cinema filmmakers talked about, uh, used the word amateur to describe what they, what they did, first of all, you know, that they were working out of love, which is the root of the word amateur and, and not necessarily, you know, they weren't really making a lot of money. They weren't becoming rich doing their filmmaking. So maybe they weren't professionals, but they were amateurs, but happy to be amateurs because they worked for love, out of love. So so I've been doing this kind of series in tribute to, to them. Um, yeah, and I when I get a chance, I like to go to film festivals. I'm wearing my uh, Ottawa International Animation Festival t-shirt um, by Bruce Bickford, who I never got to, to meet. But, um, but yeah, I mean, just kind of trying to, I mean, I don't, I would like to go lots more often, but, um, but my wife, Beth, who is also an animator and also a filmmaker, we try to, we try to get to some filmmakers, some film festivals and try to meet people and talk with them and, 
and uh, because yeah there's a lot of old people or or gone people who influenced me but there's a lot of really great contemporary animators who i really love their work and they and they inspire me too and um and that may be kind of slightly related to that too is that i you know when i first uh, um well about nine years ago nine ten years ago i was i was just feeling like i was working in such a vacuum here i didn't know anybody else who did animation and so so I just decided I was going to start a little animation festival, partly as an excuse uh, so I could show one of my films, but also I wanted to just kind of put out a call and see who else might submit and, and try to meet who some of these people are. And so um, by doing that, doing the first Minanimate, um, which was um, which was in uh, 20, 2012, um, I, met, I met some really cool people like uh, Caleb Wood, who is no longer in Minnesota, um, who did really? Who was doing really exploring different ways to do stop motion animation, and um, and then in subsequent years, I've just met lots of other really interesting uh, people in the Twin Cities and in Minnesota and around who are doing animation. Um, and uh, um, and you know, plus I, I teach classes. I, I do a lot of work with youth. Um, you know, like I said, I started as a young person doing um, animation, and I really. Um, I just, I just, I think I learn every time I, I uh, whether it's kindergartners or, um, or uh, elementary schools or um, junior high or high schools, I, I learn from, from the young people I work with um, uh, that I was, it's always kind of slightly changing what I do to do that. So, so yeah. Did you want me to name more specific names? <laughs> I don't want to do that necessarily just because there's so many people in, um, so many people I could leave out. But I do want to say one of my very favorite animators is my wife, Beth Ella, um, who um, I, I, I'm just so lucky um, to have this relationship um, with someone who does kind of similar work. And so we can, um, it's it's really nice to be able to um, to have an an, um, an automatic uh, kind of critical, crit, uh, uh, you know, it's we, we show work our work to each other and try to give each other feedback and try to give each other encouragement. And so that's, that's something that, um, it's really, it's just really wonderful to have. So. That's cool. Um, we, we don't have to go too far down this road if you don't want to, but I'm curious, um, how did you two get, like, were you both filmmakers and you met as, uh, I mean, I know you, you know, you probably didn't meet her at 10 years old. So, so you were already making movies, but, at what point in your trajectory did you encounter Beth for the first time? If you don't mind my asking. Yeah, no, we were, um, well, for like for 20 years, I worked in public access television at the Minneapolis Television Network, the public access center for the city of Minneapolis. And, um, and um, we met through there where I was teaching classes. She actually took one of my classes, but then she got so into it that she started working there. And it was, you know, over the years while we were working together that we, um, that are, are um, yeah, we are bond formed. I guess. That's great. So yeah, so it was, it was both work, but but because but also passion. She was into documentary and and uh, um and, and 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 into drawing. And so you know, when you're into drawing and documentary, then you end up into documentary animation. I think to some degree. That's cool. Um, yeah, and you know, I just want to say like one of the things that I really appreciate about um, like when I started to get involved in experimental film in the Twin Cities, um, I didn't know anybody who was, who was doing it. Um, and so it's, it's been a gradual process for me of kind of piecing together that history and that community and kind of figuring out like, oh, like, you know, this is what was going on at MTN in let's say 2007 or whatever and and it's kind of retroactively like like there isn't a published history that i know of of experimental film in minnesota um and so knowing you and talking to you has been a big part of of what of my process of of learning about that because because you have this history and you can go back at least you know, at least 20 years with it, if not much further than that. So, so that's something I really appreciate about your involvement in cellular cinema and, um, and just knowing you for these, for these years. 
Yeah, I mean, it's um, for me, when I came here, I really, when I came to Minneapolis, which was in 1987, I discovered public access television, which is just not what it used to be. It was, it was, I mean, people would, would actually watch those channels. And, um, and there was, you know, I mean, there was a, um, a really wide range of stuff, including people doing really incredible experimental work, you know, and uh, one of the things I did when I worked at MTN is I did a, a like a monthly um, open reel night too that we did in our studio where people on Friday nights, people would just bring what they were working on or, or what they had and we would screen it. That was something I forgot to even include in my little write-up I did for, um, for Faith. Um, but that was, um, that was just, I mean, you know, there, it was just a little bit of everything. It was a little, some things were really strange and, uh, uh, I mean, it was just, yeah, I mean, I really loved that world um, at public access. It was, it was, um, um, you know, in the days before you could make a movie with your phone, it was a place you could go and, and, and figure out how to use video equipment and then take it home and make your own uh, uh, projects. And the only, <laughs> the only thing you really had to do is you had to give them the tape so they could run it on, on TV, you know, so like you're, you're, that your payment was that you had to screen your movie on the channel and um and it you know and back when people watched cable tv and public access you know i mean people i would people would you know tell, tell me oh, i saw this film you made you know and it's like well you know you kind of put it out there and you don't it's not like screening a bright like bowl or something like that where there's an audience there and you know that they're there but there you just you put it out and you don't know what people are thinking so when you do hear that people actually saw it and maybe like what you did that is just and it's very a little shocking, but also, um, but also gratifying too. That, that's cool. Yeah, it sounds like a kind of a beautiful thing. The the heyday of of public access, um, and I remember when we did the we did film screenings in that building that used to be MTN. You were like, "This was our old studio," and that that always kind of stuck with me. It was like, yeah. I, I lived in that cave for uh, for many years. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, are there any other questions from uh, the people who are with us today? Now, now would be the time to share them. I really can't think of any. You just ask such great questions. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, thanks. Um, really appreciate the way you approach your art. I think it's really refreshing and just very like raw. I like the humanistic aspect that you just talked about more towards the beginning. Just kind of like, um, I don't know, the way you think about art and the way you approach it is really inspiring to me. So thank you for speaking. Great. Yeah. So yeah. So make stuff, you know, that's my, yeah. That's what, that's what I had to tell people at at uh, uh, public access, you know, when they took the classes, you just have to make it, you know, and not because uh, you know, yeah, I, there I would see a lot of people who would get the equipment, they'd start working on something and they'd never finish it. And that was my issue too, you know. So you just after a while, you just have to say, I'm just, I'm just gonna finish it. And maybe this one isn't exactly what I want, but maybe I just keep on trying and trying and eventually I'll, I'll make um, a movie that hopefully speaks or sings to someone, to someone else. I felt like I wanted to, I don't know if this is, is true or not, but um, watching Charlotte's photos, uh, you know, which is about this, this person with this kind of creative output that she was like at different points in her life kind of obsessed with and kind of generating this whole archive. Um, I wanted to, to, to create some parallels to, um, to you and to your kind of, process over the years of, you know, making these small films and I don't know, the idea of sometime in the distant future, somebody coming through and kind of excavating all of that work and saying, look at all, look at all of these beautiful small films, small sloppy films uh, that this guy made. Like, uh, isn't this amazing? And, and um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't, uh, you know, I wouldn't wish upon you the situation where somebody's about to throw it in the garbage, right? But um, but I I just watching that was like like oh this is this must be genetic or something like this is a family of of collectors and um, 
and kind of, I don't know, the practice persists through the, the generations. Yeah, like I said, I think everyone has that creative, that creative spark inside of them. So it's a matter of, yeah, and I think, and it's, and it was so for, for Charlotte, my great grand aunt Charlotte to say that at one point she decided it was just too expensive to keep on shooting photographs and she kind of stopped. And so all of her photographs are from the forties and just a few from later years, you know, um, I mean, uh, you know, I think, yeah, it's really easy for that kind of thing to happen, but, um, but yeah, I'm, but it hasn't happened to me yet, I guess. So <laughs> just, I keep on, I keep on doing it. I just have too many projects kind of in, at, uh, that are at various levels of completion. So I, I just have to try to finish them. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you'll never finish them all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So no, you can I, just kind of keep the wheel turning, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. My goal is to keep on doing this until, yeah, hopefully it's, it's always going to be possible for me in some way to do, do this kind of stuff. That's cool. That's, well, um, I think that is a great kind of note for us to wrap things up. Um, and I, I, like Jolie said, um, you know, I find it very like inspiring and it's something that I always, um, you know, whether or not you're aware of it, John, like I'm always pointing to you, um, you and Trevor and saying like, <laughs> well, just keep making movies. And, you know, here's somebody who just keeps making movies and, and um, it is possible. It is possible to just keep, keep going. I just want to say again, thank you very much, John, for, um, for sharing your, your time and, and talking with us today. And thank you. Thank you all for, for listening. All right. Well, um, we'll, I'll talk to you soon. I'll see you okay. soon, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to support this podcast and the artists that we feature, please subscribe at patreon.com backslash cellular cinema all proceeds from subscriptions go to the guest artists thank you very much <laughs>